welcome to Beyond the Crucible. I'm Warwick Fairfax, the founder of Crucible Leadership. The serum amplifies everything that is inside, so good becomes great, bad becomes worse. This is why you were chosen. Because a strong man who has known power all his life may lose respect for that power, but a weak man knows the value of strength and knows compassion. Thanks, I think. Whatever happens tomorrow, you must promise me one thing. That you will stay who you are. Not a perfect soldier, but a good man. When you boil it all down, that's a succinct, extremely accurate description of what a hero is. A good man or good woman. Hi, I'm Gary Schneeberger, co-host of the show. That clip you just heard is from the movie Captain America, The First Avenger. Our focus today as we launch our new summer series, Lights, Camera, Crucibles, what our favorite movie heroes can teach us about overcoming setbacks and failure. We chose Captain America not only because we're debuting this series on the day after Independence Day in the US, but also because of the lessons the shield-wielding hero and his alter ego, Steve Rogers, reveal about moving beyond crucibles with an attitude of, I can do this all day. What makes Steve Rogers heroic is not the super soldier serum that transforms him from a 120-pound weakling rejected by the Army several times during World War II into a muscular frontline fighter who beats the Nazis. What truly makes Steve Rogers Captain America is not something he was given but something he had all along, character. Our goal here in doing this is to make uh, this a fun and insightful time. Each of these eight episodes that we have planned, um, uh, you've heard of uh, the phrase popcorn movies, summer movies that are big blockbuster excitements. We're hoping this becomes a a popcorn podcast that it offers excitement, inspiration, hope, healing, and and some practical action steps for you while we all have a little bit of fun. Um, so the series is all about, you may have gotten the idea when I said Lights, Camera, Crucibles, that in fact, it's about movies, it is. But specifically, it's about movie heroes, a mix of superheroes, sports heroes, action heroes, when they all have one common denominator, and that's this, their stories just don't entertain us, they enlighten us. One of the things we say the show always aims to do in the intro, especially on the YouTube version that you can run over and see, we always talk about how we want to, to enlighten people. We don't want to commiserate, we want to elevate. That's the goal of this series. Entertain, yes, but elevate uh, for sure. And so the films that we've chosen and we're going to keep them secret week to week. We're going to tell you, you kind of have a hint of what the first one's going to be because you heard the clip uh, at the start of the show. But these are all films that Warwick and I love and millions of moviegoers besides us love. 
sometimes for generations, they have loved these characters. It's not because, or at least not just because I'm a uh, superhero geek, um, uh, a, a bit of a fanboy. It's not because Warwick loves history and loves heroes and has since he was a boy, but it's because these movies all surround themes that we discuss every week on Beyond the Crucible. Some of those themes are overcoming your worst day, learning and applying the lessons of your crucibles, shifting your perspective to understand that these setbacks and failures didn't happen to you, but happened for you. The importance of faith and authenticity and living a life on purpose dedicated to serving others. And sometimes having a secret identity and wearing a cool costume. Okay, I made that one up. That's not something that we have always talked about on, on Beyond the Crucible, but we may talk a little bit about it today. Stay tuned. We have some surprises. Um, but like any good summer activity, we hope this does two things. One, that we have fun, that you have fun. And two, we get to spend some meaningful time together. That's our goal here. Have fun, spend some meaningful time together. And we think that we'll do just that. So Warwick, what are your feelings? I've been blabbing here. What are your feelings about starting this, this uh, Lights, Camera, Crucible series about movie heroes? Well, I think both of us, uh, you know, I love heroic movies, be it superhero movies, historical movies, books, figures. I mean, I grew up uh, with my dad telling me about some of the heroic figures in history, whether... Obviously, in America, we think of Washington and Lincoln because my dad was an Anglophile. You know, we, I grew up, uh, you know, hearing stories about Admiral Nelson of Battle of Trafalgar fame and the Napoleonic Wars and uh, uh, the Duke of Wellington and Waterloo. So, you know, I think what attracts me to heroic figures is uh, they're typically up against odds. They're tested both physically, strategically, but they're tested in their character and they always come through. That's the essence of being a hero. You're tested and you come through and your character, if anything, is refined or sharpened at times. But uh, they're people that we can learn from. When, you know, when we suffer challenges and crucibles, how can we emerge better, stronger, especially in our character? How can we be focused on others rather than just ourselves? So, there are so many teachable moments in these larger-than-life figures that you know we love talking about them, not so much because, oh, who of us will ever be Captain America, but it's more we love the story and we like to think that we could see ourselves in the movie or we like to think in our better days we too could be selfless and heroic, even in small ways. So it inspires us to be better than maybe we thought we could be. That's why I think we all love heroic uh, figures in movies. To level set uh, beyond just what the excellent points that Warwick made, but it's not just us. We're not just the only two people who think this is a worthwhile subject to talk about how you can apply some of the lessons of, of hero movies uh, to your life. Uh, Psychology Today did an article uh, a couple of years back that it called Five Surprising Ways that heroes improve our lives. We're going to go through those five ways here, just so you get an idea of why it is we're spending, we're committing so much time and effort and energy to this series and this subject. So here's the first reason that uh, Psychology Today says heroes improve our lives. Number one, heroes produce a recently identified emotion called elevation. This, this one fascinated me, and that's why they made it number one, I'm sure. Recent research suggests that heroes and heroic action may evoke a unique emotional response 
which a professor at NYU has called elevation. He borrowed the term elevation from Thomas Jefferson, who used the phrase moral elevation to describe the euphoric feeling one gets when reading great literature. The article goes on to say, elevation is described as similar to calmness, warmth, and love. The professor at NYU argues that elevation is, quote, elicited by acts of virtue or moral beauty. It causes warm, open feelings in the chest. Seems like a lot of the beats that we talk about in crucible leadership, especially when it comes to the benefits of, of living a life of significance and the benefits that that has on other people, doesn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. You know, think of when you're in high school or maybe, you know, you've had kids in high school. One of the things you always say is you are judged by who you surround yourself with. So surround yourself with people mm -hmm. that will elevate you, people that will respect you value you, people that you can really help, you know, uh, yourself. And so the people you're around can elevate you. On the other hand, if you're around the wrong crowd, it can lead to terrible things. In some cases, sadly, in high school or beyond, it can lead to drugs, substance abuse, gangs, terrible things. And so one of the great things about heroic movies is you're surrounding yourself with folks that elevate you. Some people talk about appealing to your better angels. You know, we're all a mix of good qualities and not so good. All of us are we're imperfect. But by watching heroic movies, it can indeed elevate you. It can appeal to your better angels. It can appeal to your better instincts. So it, it it's, does what we all want to, to have happen with ourselves and our kids. We want We all want to be our best selves. And I honestly believe that heroic movies play a role, if not a significant role in our culture, in the ability to help us all be the best selves that we can be. And that leads uh, very nicely, Warwick, to the second point, uh, point in this Psychology Today article, and that is that heroes heal our psychic wounds. It says, tens of thousands of years ago, when humans first tamed fire, tribe members huddled around a communal fire at the end of each day for warmth and protection. But the act of gathering around the fire encouraged another activity, storytelling. These first stories were no doubt tales of heroes and heroic action. And these tales were a salve for people's psychological wounds. Hero stories calmed people's fears buoyed their spirits, nourished their hopes, and fostered important values of strength and resilience. Life now had greater purpose and meaning. There's no doubt that humans today are no different from our earthly ancestors. We are drawn to good hero stories because they comfort us and heal us. Another fair point with what we're about to talk about and what we've all experienced in, in watching these films. That is so profoundly true, Gary. I mean, human beings for thousands of years, ever since we were, you know, humans, have, as you said, gathered around the campfire and told stories of heroic deeds. Every culture that I know of has these stories. I know for me, as I've mentioned before, I think other podcast episodes and in my book, uh, Crucible Leadership, my, my dad uh, read me heroic stories of the Greek heroes from a book from, I don't know, somewhere in the 1800s by Charles Kingsley called The Heroes. And you'd hear, you know, uh, stories of Perseus, Jason and the Argonauts, and stories of uh, the Trojan Wars, which there have been a few recent movies on that, and stories of Odysseus 
taking 10 years to come home to his beloved wife, Penelope. The guards were sort of angry at him for a variety of reasons, but he wouldn't let him, let, let it stop him. Nothing would stop him from you know, coming home to his kingdom, to his people, and to his wife. So the Greeks, thousands of years ago, would sit around campfires or wherever they were gathered and tell stories of these incredible heroes in their culture. It's just, it's part of being human is to tell stories of heroes in our culture and it reinforces our culture, our values, and again, helps us be our best selves. So it's telling stories is an intrinsic part of being human. Yeah, and the podcast is today's answer to the campfire. Uh, in, in many, many ways in terms of the stories that are being told around it. Here's the third point in Psychology Today's article. Heroes nourish our connections with other people. The content of hero stories, uh, they write, also promotes a strong sense of social identity. If the hero is an effective one, he or she performs actions that exemplify and affirm the community's most valued models who perform behaviors that reinforce our most treasured values and connections with others. And we're really going to get into that, not just in today's episode, which is about Captain America. It's not a spoiler alert. You heard it in the clip. Um, but about all the heroes that we talk about, it really they really do reinforce our most treasured values and connections with others. One of the things that draws me to these kinds of movies is that I see in the characters I love and I appreciate the the higher aspirations I have for myself. I think that's that's a fair point to make about why these films are so popular. Yeah, the special effects are great. Yeah, the dialogue's snappy. Um, the action's good. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's the character of the heroes and the values of the heroes, I think, that on which these movies rise and fall. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we like to see ourselves as a Steve Rogers and, you know, who overcame his crucibles and was selfless. We like to identify with these heroes. We like to think in some small way, maybe there's a part of Steve Rogers that could be us. Back to the Psychology Today article, it absolutely elevates us and uh, inspires us. That's the value of, of stories. I mean, one of the things you hear in adult learning a lot is, like if you hear a speech, you might remember, you might forget the points, but you remember the stories. Or mm -hmm. in the Bible with Jesus, his main points were all told through stories. And so storytelling is a very valuable way to teach lessons to ourselves, to our kids, to our loved ones, though, our team members. So um, it's a valuable way of teaching. It's inspiring. One of the best ways to really try to get better as a human is, you know, just identify with some of these figures, not so much to be literal superheroes, but just more in the character and how we deal with adversity. I think it's incredibly helpful to ourselves, ourselves and in our lives. And that's an important point to make in a podcast called Beyond the Crucible that comes from a, a uh, life practice called Crucible Leadership, that it is to overcome Part of the journey, part of the story is overcoming those difficult moments and, and getting up. And uh, again, as we get into Captain America here in a bit, we'll see a lot of those beats in the Captain America story. And in fact, there's the fourth point in Psychology Today's article, and that is heroes show us how to transform our lives. A comparative mythologist named Joseph Campbell. I never knew there were comparative mythologists. I wonder if there are other kinds of mythologists, but he's a comparative mythologist. And he said in 1988, 
that all of us undergo a hero-like journey throughout our ordinary human lifespans. You sort of alluded to that when you were talking just a little while ago. During our lives, he wrote, we undergo a truly heroic transformation of consciousness. Only when we heroically risk change and growth in our own lives will we reach our full potential. As spiritual teacher Richard Rohr notes, hero stories inspire us all because they call us all. Love that. Hero stories inspire us all because they call us all. I mean, it's not, it's really impossible to watch a hero story, be it superhero, action hero, sports hero, real life documentary hero somewhere. It's really hard to watch a film like that and not feel inspired and called to the same level of excellence, the same level of, of soul, of character that these, that these mythical, sometimes real, sometimes heroes display, isn't it? It's, it's, it's almost an impossibility not to be not just elevated, but to be drawn into following that path. Absolutely. I mean, as you're talking about heroic figures, you know, I think of, uh, Luke Skywalker in the uh, first uh, Star Wars film in, what is it, 1977 or, you know, somewhere thereabouts. And I'd say more screenplay analyses and heroic analyses have been done of that movie than any other. It's a template of how to give a speech, how to write a screenplay, you know, without getting into it all. You know, Luke Skywalker starting as, you know, a simple young boy, young man in this far off... uh, planet his family gets killed and he ends up uh you know part of the rebel alliance becoming a heroic figure well he had to go through crucibles and journey and growth and that would be a whole nother discussion but um yeah i think uh heroic figures typically go through an arc of learning of dealing with crucibles overcoming them so in a sense these heroic movies that we're going to be talking about are almost an archetype of what does it mean to be a crucible leader. And, you know, we talk on the podcast and the book all the time about learning the lessons of your crucible, living a line of your design, finding a vision that maybe come out of the ashes of your crucible, focus on others, living a life of significance. That's what the figures in these movies do. They live the crucible arc, the refining cycle, as we call it. So, there, you know, it's it's a great way of of learning how to not let your worst day define you and how to move on to a, a more fulfilling life. And here, listener, is proof that this idea is is uh, breathed outside of me and Warwick because I have not I have not shared I've not shared with him what I'm reading out of Psychology Today, and he just led perfectly. He just set the plate perfectly for the fifth point in the article. And that is heroes turn us into heroes ourselves. Good heroes, they write, use the power of transformation, not only to change themselves for the better, but also to transform the world. In the classic hero journey, the newly transformed hero eventually transforms society in significant and positive ways. Psychologist Eric Erickson's stages of human development suggest a similar hero trajectory for all of us. Adults grow in significant, familiar word, in significant ways, and then in midlife reach a stage of generativity, which Erickson defines as the time when people give back to the society that has given them so much. 
We haven't written it that way as that's what a life of significance is, but that's what they're describing there, right? They're describing a life of significance. It makes you feel significant and it passes value onto the culture. Absolutely. I think um, there was a generation of historians, uh, you know, that uh, talked about the great man theory of history. Obviously, we would say the great person, the great man, the great woman theory of history. And that was the idea that individuals can transform society. That's maybe not as fashionable today because we live in a more cynical age. And yes, our heroes typically are not perfect. They have their flaws. But, you know, as we've discussed uh, before, in fact, just on uh, the last podcast, uh, we talked about Winston Churchill and uh, his whole never, you know, never give up. He was, you know, one man. Or never is actually never, <laughs> never, never, never. Exactly right. <laughs> I memorized it for the show. Exactly right. So here he was in May 1940, new prime minister of Britain, when it felt like, you know, Britain against uh, Nazi Germany, against the world. Um, uh, at the time, America would come in the, uh, in the war later in late 1941. But Britain could be uh, forgiven if they were obviously fearful, feeling like, gosh, we're one little island, how will we, you know, protect ourselves against the might of Nazi Germany? But in one sense, through the power of his example and the power of his rhetoric, Winston Churchill, with his idea of we will never give up, we'll fight them on the beaches, in the villages, in the towns, uh, you know, um, no matter how long it takes, we in our Commonwealth, which includes Australia and Canada, we will fight on you know, one man, one woman can make a massive difference. Now, we're not all going to be Winston Churchill's, but even if it means in our town, in our village, in our neighborhood, in our company, in our division, wherever it is, we can have an anointment in our families. We can have a massive impact, far more than we would think. So never underestimate the ability to live. My heroic life sounds a bit of a stretch, for maybe for most of us, but let's understand it as like heroic life in terms of character and service mm -hmm. in modeling what we believe. And that kind of heroic life is attainable by all of us. It's just a matter of living what we believe. It's a massive impact, far more than we would realize. And it's a great bridge to the first hero that we're going to talk about, because that's one of the, uh, one of the characteristics, one of the things that makes Captain America a hero. So as we teased at the top of the show, our first hero that we're going to unpack is going to be Captain America. And we're just about ready to launch into that. I think I'm ready to begin that discussion, Warwick. I think I'm ready <laughs> to dive in. I, th I think I'm ready to go. I got the, there's the Captain America t-shirt. I got the Captain America hat. I'm so excited. I forgot to put my glasses back on, but I guess that's, you know what, when you're talking about heroes, right? Sometimes the alter ego wears glasses. Sometimes the hero doesn't. That's not Captain America's story, but that is uh, the story of, of a few of them. And there's my Captain America shield. Um, if you're um, uh, so we're all ready to go talk about Captain America. Um, and I, I can actually still read my notes without my glasses on. So I'm just going to let them go. I'm just going to let it go just like this. We're going to fly just like this and see what happens. Um, uh, where we're going to start, uh, Warwick, is with the movie Captain America, the first Avenger, which is where the, the movie versions of Captain America all began. Uh, that was in phase one of what they call the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And um, it was a uh, the it was a story of a young man 
Steve Rogers uh, in World War II. And he really, really, really wanted to be a soldier. He wanted to fight. The problem for Steve Rogers was that he was slight and he was sickly. Um, his crucible when we meet him is that this kid from Brooklyn who wants to get into World War II can't join the army because they keep rejecting him. Uh, so intense is his desire to serve, in fact, that he travels to several recruiting stations in the preamble, the pre-story, the backstory of Captain America, the first Avenger, hoping to find one recruitment center that's going to give him the chance. But the odds are high. And here's how high the odds are. This is fascinating to me. I didn't realize this until I began doing some of the research uh, for our conversation today. But in one scene in the movie where he's in one of those recruitment centers, uh, when his paperwork is stamped 4F, which means he's, he's rejected, uh, the audience gets a fleeting glimpse on screen of his physical history, uh, including his ailments. Uh, it's flashed too quickly by to, to really understand what it says in, in its entirety. But here's, here's the fun part. When Marvel wrapped up the first phase of its cinematic universe, it issued a box set of all the DVDs. And in that box set, they had dossiers of, on, of all the characters who were in uh, the Avengers. And included in that, right here, you can see there's their, their uh, top secret uh, inactive classified file. But in that, they take that very piece of paper that shows up in Captain America, the first Avenger, can't really see it there well because of the sun. But here's the ailments that are listed on that sheet that flew by too quickly for moviegoers to understand. So here's, here are the odds. Here's the crucible that Steve Rogers faces as he wants to go join the war effort and do his part for his country. Summary of patient health issues, asthma, scarlet fever, rheumatic fever, sinusitis, high blood pressure, palpitations or pounding in heart. I'm gonna run out of breath saying this. Easy fatigability, heart trouble, nervous trouble of any sort, has had household contact with a tuberculosis patient and his parent sibling, he has a parent sibling with diabetes, cancer, stroke, or heart disease. He's also only five foot seven and 110 pounds makes it pretty clear why Steve Rogers is having trouble getting in the army, doesn't it? Oh, that guy's a mess. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, a slide of stature. I mean, 110 pounds. I mean, wow. Rheumatic fever, you know, tuberculosis. I mean, he's just, you know, he is the antithesis of a heroic figure. And that kid's not, I mean, you would think, poor kid, he's not going to be able to do anything. I mean, if, if there's a breath of wind, you think you'd fall over. I mean, right. you know, he's um, just sickly, you know, can you imagine being in the heat of battle and having a nervous disposition? You know, do you want that guy to have you have, you know, have your back? I mean, probably not, you know, maybe you'll suffer a heart attack or something. So it's, yeah, he is the antithesis of what a hero would be. So, uh, which, yeah, makes his story more, even more remarkable, really. And yet in the very next scene, in the very next scene after he's been rejected several times, the, the, the first glimpse of what indeed makes him a hero comes up. So he's in the movie theater 
after one of his rejections, he goes to see a movie. And at that time at the movies, they ran newsreels beforehand. And because it was World War II, they were they were they were uh, reporting back there. You know, remember, there's no TV at this time. That's that's, you know, hour by hour. No CNN telling you what's going on in in uh, in the theater of war. You've got to watch these newsreels and he wants to see what's going on. But there's some guys in front of him in the theater who are mouthing off and they're talking through the newsreel and Steve Rogers, slight, sickly Steve Rogers gets a little upset about that. He wants to hear what's going on. He wants to serve his country and he wants to know what's going on in the theater of war. What ends up happening, he gets in a fight with one of the bigger guys in front of him. Later, the guy goes outside and beats him up in an alley. And he just, he just pounds him. He keeps punching him and Steve keeps falling down and get, getting knocked down. And eventually the guy who's beating him up takes a little sympathy on him. And he says, you just don't know when to quit, do you? And Steve's response would end up coursing throughout all of the films in which Captain America appears. That's this first one, Captain America, the first Avenger. That's the second one, Captain America, the Winter Soldier. That's the third one, Captain America, Civil War, as well as all four Avengers movies. This is the this is the the attitude of Steve Rogers of Captain America as it plays out through those movies. Here's what he says to that bully as that bully beats him up. I could do this all day. And he says it many more times throughout those other movies, as I said. And Warwick, when I heard that in screening this movie for this purpose, it occurs to me that could be the motto of moving beyond your crucible, couldn't it? Recognizing that life knocks you down, but it has lessons to teach you. And you'll learn them if you adopt the attitude of, okay, I could do this all day if that's the way it turns out. Is that fair to sort of summarize the way crucible leadership works? Absolutely. Really, to get over your crucible, you have to have that attitude of perseverance that I could do it all day. It really is a good perspective to think about when you face crucibles. Can you be someone who looks at crucibles? We say they, they didn't happen to you, they happened for you. One way of, of, of expressing that in, 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 in a different manner is to say, I could do this all day. I know what's on the other side of persevering through my crucible, so I'm going to press in and I'm going to do that. Steve Rogers' life changes when he meets uh, one Dr. Erskine, who's a former German scientist who's working on developing a super soldier formula for the U.S. uh, government agency, the Strategic Scientific Reserve. Um, And he selects Steve over more physically capable and militarily experienced candidates because, as we heard in the clip that started the show, Steve is a weak man. Physically, he is a weak man. And here's the important point there, though. Erskine believes because of that, he will value strength and he will do it with compassion. And that, in Erskine's mind, is what makes a super soldier. That's a that's a pretty, again, life applicable lesson that going back to the Psychology Today article that we should all aspire to, that in our hearts, we all want to aspire to. It's not who we can beat up. It's who we can comfort. It's who we can who we can show compassion to. It's who we can love. That's the, that's the nature of quote unquote heroism as defined by Captain America. And I think in our own hearts. Absolutely. I mean, it's those early scenes are particularly helpful in this movie when you just see this young, you know, slight of build, uh, doesn't seem like a heroic figure. But what Dr. Erskine sees in Steve Rogers is maybe not heroic physical stature, but heroic character. 
He's somebody mm-hmm. that you know will stand up, as we'll see, to bullies. He's somebody that, uh, you know, because he hasn't, you know, doesn't have natural strength, he values compassion. He values character. He values doing the right thing. You know, later on we'll see. You know, I think Dr. Erskine says, you know, Steve, don't change. Don't change in your character. You know, right. keep who you are. You know, when he'll get get the serum and. One of the things he says in that in that clip that I think is really, you know, it's very thought-provoking when he says to Steve, you know, the serum amplifies everything. It makes a bad man, a bad person better, a good man, a good person better. And so Steve already had character. Did it make him uh, even of greater character? I don't know. Maybe. I guess that would be Dr. Erskine's premise. But um yeah, I think what that says is sometimes uh, you could say uh, our strength is found in our weakness. I know for me, mm-hmm. given what I've gone through, you know, losing a $2.25 billion, 150-year-old family media company in Australia, I think it, I'd like to think it gives you a level of compassion, a level of empathy for others. And so sometimes out of weakness, uh, you know, physical weakness or whatever, there can be great strength that comes out of that. And so, yeah, Dr. Erskine uh, chose Steve Rogers because of the strength of his character. And that was a profoundly wise choice that a lot of other people wouldn't have done. No. In fact, uh, the colonel, played by Tommy Lee Jones, you know, is having none of it in the beginning, right? Is he, you know, you bring a 90 pound asthmatic into my, into my barracks. I mean, he's, he's very gruff. He's perfect. Tommy Lee Jones there, but he doesn't see it because he doesn't spend any time. He doesn't get to spend any time with Steve Rogers aside from what's happening on the training field. And he sees a bunch of people who are stronger and that's what he as a military man has been taught to believe is what wins wars physical strength. And Erskine is a doctor who, while he was in Germany, uh, ended up uh, having to give the serum before it was ready to go to a very physically strong man, but a bad man, um, Johann Schmidt, who ends up being the villain Red Skull in the movie. uh, He's seen what happens when, when strong morally questionable people get that serum. He doesn't want to see that happen again. And one of the key things before Steve Rogers receives the serum and becomes the physical embodiment of Captain America, the last thing that Erskine asks him is, do you want to kill Nazis, right? He wants to get at Steve's motivation. Okay, he wants to go join the war effort because he's been to five or six different places to, to, to fill out a form, been rejected each time. That's against the law. He doesn't seem to care because he wants to fight so badly. But Erskine says, do you want to kill Nazis? And Steve's response, again, gets to the character of Steve Rogers and then Captain America because he never loses that character. Um, Steve's response is, I don't want to kill anybody. I just don't like bullies. And he sees Hitler as a bully, he sees the Nazis as bullies, and he wants to stop those bullies in the same way that he wanted to stop that guy who was talking over the um, film reels in the movie theater. That's the essence of Steve Rogers, that becomes the essence of Captain America. So Steve is given the serum. He gets the serum and that gives him strength, speed, and the ability to take and throw a punch. They're exponentially greater than they were before. He captures a Nazi who has infiltrated the experiment and shot Erskine to death. 
he winds up in the papers as a hero. And here then comes Steve Rogers' second big crucible of the film, and his first big crucible is Captain America. The U.S. government doesn't send him to the front to fight the war. The U.S. government, and this kind of hurts me that this is that this is a made this is played for a joke in the film. The U.S. government sends him on a PR campaign. Being a PR guy by profession, I'm like, oh, that's terrible. The PR is the is like the evil the evil assignment in the movie. But but for our purposes, it's it, why it's a crucible is he's not Steve Rogers realizes he's not using all the gifts he's been given. Right. We talk about gifts you've been given a lot, not usually in this context. They've been injected into you through science, um, but he's still been given gifts and he feels like he's not using them. And he's longing for what we've called in a previous series, second act significance. Right. That's where he finds himself as he's on this PR tour selling war bonds. You know, what's fascinating about this is both, you know, the army's maybe misuse of him, arguably. Although, I mean, the army has an attitude of, look, you know, he's this larger-than-life figure. We need money to fuel this war. And one of the main ways they did that was selling war bonds to people. So he was serving a good purpose, which is raising money for the war. Now, he could have said, look, you know, maybe he didn't want to kill Nazis, but I want to, you know, uh, protect America. I could do a lot more at the front. But uh, maybe he grumbles a little bit, but basically he's like, look, if this is where I'm needed in the war effort, and this can help raise millions of dollars for the war, I'm not going to overly complain. So he, like a good soldier, he went ahead and did it, which I think is remarkable in terms of humility. He didn't say, I'm not doing that. I'm Captain America. How dare you? No, right. he's like, okay, I mean, I like it. I understand why they're putting me there. Raising millions of dollars for the war effort is not bad. I get it. War bonds is, is a big deal, uh, selling them. But um, yeah, it definitely uh, wasn't using his gifts, wasn't maybe the best place to put him. But in his humility, he went uh, on with it, put on a good show and, and did his best to make the best of a bad position. Another important lesson, all of us in life are going to face times in which we're not in the best place for our gifting but we do our best anyway. Sometimes you don't have a choice in the short run. And so that showed remarkable character the way you approached it. And you're right. At first, he kind of embraces that role. He's he's symbolic. You're right. The war bonds uh, are, are going up. They're, they're raising a lot more money with him. Um, but yet, deep down inside, when he was going to all those places wanting to sign up for the war, he wasn't thinking of being a PR guy. He was thinking of being a soldier. And uh, he doesn't want to raise money. He wants to raise cane, right? He wants to <laughs> he wants to take it to the enemy, and he gets a little picture um, when his plane field shifts from all those war bond rallies to the front. He goes to the front and he meets and he does his 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 shtick with his, you know the chorus girls singing the Star Spangled Man song and all the dances and the fake Hitler he knocks out. But he does it in front of soldiers who are on the front lines. And they boo him. They mock him. They say, "Bring the girls back." Um, one of the interesting things about of all the of all the projectiles that Captain America knocks away with with this thing right here with his shield, of all the projectiles he knocks away with his shield, the first ones are fruit thrown at him by servicemen who think he's shirking his duty because they don't know the whole story, and that 
weighs on him. And the next scene that we see him in Warwick is when he, he, uh, is visited by Captain Peggy Carter, um, who's a British agent who's working with the Strategic Scientific Reserve. They've kind of taken a shine to one another in a very sweet way. And um, she says something to him, listener, I'm gonna ask you the same thing I'm gonna ask Warwick. Does this sound familiar? What she tells Steve Rogers slash Captain America, who's selling war bonds, but not fighting. You were meant for more than this she says to him. Pretty familiar subject around these parts, isn't it? It sure is, Gary. I mean, as listeners would know, we just finished an amazing series on second act significance. And I'd say pretty much every guest we had reached that moment of you were met for more than this, whether it was, you know, Robert Miller being, uh, you know, a pretty successful lawyer in New York for decades. And it's like, is this all there is? you know, is this all there is? And he had a love of music and now has a very successful um, uh, band, uh, you know, Project Grand Slam doing a mix of uh, Latin, uh, jazz, fusion. But every guest we had had a, is this all there is moment. As as we heard uh, last week, I had a, uh, what I called a, a cubicle moment. And, you know, mm-hmm. is this all there is moment when I was in the mid 90s, uh, through early 2000s, I was working in an aviation services company in Maryland doing business, uh, marketing analysis, and I was getting good performance reviews, but it's like, I felt like I was, as a person of faith, dishonoring God in the sense I wasn't using all the gifts that I've been given. So I ended up uh, quitting, uh, got into executive coaching, and from there, through a variety of ways, ended up writing my book. And you know, and our crucible leadership and beyond the crucible. But, you know, many of us have had this, is this all there is moment? Am I using all my gifts for a higher purpose? How have I defined it in a way that's helping others? And so this was really, uh, maybe it wasn't a cubicle moment. Obviously, he was, he was out there getting thrown fruit by servicemen, which had to have, here he was trying to help America. That's got to be an right. absolutely soul-crushing to be mocked mm-hmm. by the people on the front lines. I can't think of a worse psychological crucible. I mean, it would have been devastating. You know, Is this what I was given serum for, to get thrown fruit at and mocked by soldiers? You know, My fellow soldiers, is this all there is? Surely there must be a higher purpose. So yeah, it's a, it's a classic moment, definitely is. Yeah. And he, he finds that higher moment, courtesy of Peggy Carter, um, who... Uh, at the camp uh, there on the front lines um, or kind of behind the front lines quite a bit. He discovers that um, a lot of uh, American and British allied servicemen have been taken uh, prisoner by the Nazis who are winning the war at this point. They're, they're, they're kind of cleaning up a little bit because Johann Schmidt, the red skull has, has hijacked. If you're a fan of Marvel, you'll know what the Tesseract is. If you're not a fan of Marvel, let's just say it's, it's uh, uh, sort of cosmic energy. And he's, lever- he's been able to leverage this cosmic energy to create weapons that give the Nazis the upper hand. So they've captured all these POWs. He hears about it. The colonel doesn't want to send anybody there because it's so far behind enemy lines. But Steve Rogers hears that one of those POWs could be his friend, Bucky Barnes, his, his boyhood chum, who 
is was everything that Steve wanted to be strong and capable and accepted immediately into the the uh, military and you know women loved him and that's all the things that Steve sort of aspired to be in 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 kind of his his heart of hearts. Um, he thinks that Bucky, even though some say he's dead, he thinks Bucky might be one of those POWs. So he goes unauthorized, unordered. He goes behind enemy lines himself and he uh, picks up uh, and, and he liberates the camp where these POWs are being uh, held. He he gets with him along the way, this, this wonderful motley crew of British and American soldiers um, uh, who kind of go on to become Captain America's howling commandos in some, uh, some other things that happened in the film and certainly in the comic book universe. But what I thought was so great about that scene, Warwick, is when it ends, when he comes back the hero, the first thing he does, everybody's applauding him. Crowds are parting because he's coming back with all these POWs. But the first thing that Steve Rogers, Captain America, does is walk up to the colonel played by Tommy Lee Jones and say, I'm here to turn myself in for disciplinary action because he recognizes, he absolutely knows, he left without authorization. That's his character on display. It's another key building block, that character in moving beyond a crucible to lead a life of significance that we talk about all the time. And there's something else that happens in that moment, Warwick, when Peggy Carter is talking to the colonel that also speaks to a key component of what it takes to get beyond your crucible. Talk about that a bit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a classic scene in that you would think a normal hero comes back and says to the colonel, hey, you had no faith in me? Well, take that, okay? Look right. at all these people cheering me. They may have thrown fruit at me before. Well, now they're cheering me. I'm the big hero. You're an idiot. You made a mistake. So, you know, you better have a good assignment for me. or Otherwise, colonel, I'm going to talk to the general or the head of the war office or hey, maybe even President Roosevelt. You know, if you're too stupid to listen... People are going to listen to me now. That would have been an approach, an arrogant, hey, I'm the hero. But that's not at all what Steve Rogers did. He knew that he had, you know, uh, gone against his orders. And it's like, okay, I did what I did to help people. But I recognize that what I did was against orders. I'm ready for discipline. He was just humble, you know, submitted to authority in the best sense of that word. It if he was about glory, his response would have been totally different. It shows everything about his character. And and, and it shows everything about how wise Dr. Erskine was in not picking one of those guys that was killing all of the tests, right? That was killing all the tests on the, the uh, training field. He did, because that's the kind of thing one of those guys would have said if they came back. And that's not who's- Absolutely. They would have said, hey, look at me. You know, I am the champion, you know, cue, you know, the, the queen rock group music, you know, we are the champions. Right. I mean, that would be kind of what you'd be hearing. But while the colonel may not have really uh, judged correctly, uh, Agent Peggy Carter, the British agent uh, working with the group, did because, uh, you know, when the colonel asked uh, Agent Peggy Carter, you know, well, why do you allow Steve to go on this mission? And she says, I had faith. Mm. You know, she believed in him. She saw what um, uh, Dr. Erskine saw 
in Steve Rogers, a man, a person of high character, of selflessness, is always about the cause and about his fellow soldiers, not about his own glory. So she had faith in who he was as a person. So she saw those, you know, really aspects of greatness, greatness of character in him that Dr. Erskine did. So, yeah, it's a wonderful line, you know, I had faith. She knew who he was, and she knew what he could do. Right. And that's one of the things that you talk about in your book, and we talk about on the show quite a bit, is the importance of faith, the importance of believing that this isn't the end. And whether that comes from us or that comes from others, other people having faith in us is also a great driver. I mean, that is, again... Listener, I stress that's one of the reasons why we're talking about these films and these heroes, because they 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 touch on the beats that we've been talking to you about now for more than 120 episodes of this show. Um, and that's one of the things that that I think makes it makes this such a robust, fun discussion. Just before we leave that point and what you're saying is so true, I think one of the points I want listeners to really consider is you can surround yourself with naysayers who will say, you know what? You're a screw-up, you've failed, you've hurt people. You deserve maybe not to be in prison, but to be in a virtual prison. You you, you know, deserve to be treated like lepers in the Bible, to be shunned, not seen. You're unforgivable, irredeemable, you're a hopeless waste of space. Now, that's an approach. You can surround yourself with those people if you want to. And it doesn't mean you don't have to atone for things you've done and uh, right. make it right. But you want to surround yourself with people who say, you know what, I get it, you've made mistakes, or maybe you've made choices that weren't as good as others, but I believe in you. I believe that, you know, I don't say greatness within you, but greatness in the sense of, the, of character, of the ability to achieve you know, uh, dreams that maybe others may not see. I believe in who you are and your capacity and what you can do, surrounding yourself with people who will elevate you and appeal to your better angels is is a massively important part of achieving your dreams to a life of significance. Surround yourself with people who will say, you know what, I believe you can do it. I believe you are better and more capable than you, you ever realize. Those are the kind of people that we want to have in our corner. Yeah. And Steve Rogers, Captain America, proves capable. He brings down the villain of the piece, uh, the Red Skull, he defeats him and he he does it in a way that, again, stays so true to his character um, in the sense that he doesn't, he says to, to Dr. Erskine back in the beginning, when he, he's asked, do you want to kill Nazis? No, I don't want to kill Nazis. I just don't like bullies. He doesn't kill. So many times heroes um, in action films in particular will, will, will take out the... Um, the bad guy. I'm 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 working on a book right now about the James Bond films, right? And James Bond pretty much offs every bad guy, every bad guy his his path crosses. That's not the way that heroes tend to operate. Superheroes tend to operate. They don't kill. And Captain America says, "I don't want to kill anybody. Um, I I want to simply." Uh, stop bullies. And so what ends up killing the Red Skull is his own megalomania. He's so he's so fascinated and 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 obsessed with this this tesseract, this 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 otherworldly source of power that he grabs it and it, it blows up on him and he dies. That then it, it happens on his plane and that leaves Steve Rogers on the plane, Captain America on the plane and he's got a choice to make. And that choice is there's a bomb that plane is 
set to drop a bomb on New York. So he can either let that happen or he can take that plane and he can crash it in the ocean to save other people's lives. And by this time, listener, I think, you know, even if you haven't seen the movie, what Captain America is going to do, Um, unlike the Red Skull, who can't control the power he wields, Steve Rogers can control the power within him. And that leads him to um, to make the ultimate sacrifice in the end, fly the plane with the bomb into the ocean. And there he is presumed dead. Again, Warwick, that really makes, I mean, the smartest guy in this movie to me is Dr. Erskine because he gets it with just a few conversations of hearing a few things that Steve Rogers said. This is the kind of man after, after putting that serum in, in Johann Schmidt's arm and what that made bad worse. He saw this, 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 physically weak man who he could, who was good in his heart and he could make that good better. And that's what he did to the end when, or to what seemed like the end when Steve Rogers dropped that plane in the water, even though he had fallen in love with Peggy Carter, she with him. And um, that ended that he thought that there's more to come as there always is in superhero movies. Right. Absolutely. It's a great point. Um, He was always about the greater good. It's not about me, you know, uh, obviously with, Everything that was on that plane, uh, yeah, it could have annihilated New York and, um, you know, probably part of the eastern seaboard uh, of the U.S. But, you know, he was willing to sacrifice himself for the greater good of his country and, his, you know, the men and women that uh, that live here. So, it was he was the true hero, and it's not about me; it's about a higher purpose. I'm just doing my best to, you know, help those around me and. There's a, an interesting moment in one of the you know later scenes of the movie when uh, Steve Rogers is struggling with Johann Smith, the Red Skull, the head of Hydra on the plane, and um, you know, uh, well, actually, I think it was earlier. Come to think of it, in the in the Alp space, but it's sort of part of this end of the movie, and right. um, you know, Johann Smith, the head of Hydra, asks Steve Rogers. Well, what makes you so special? In other words, Dr. Erskine had been, you know, forced to inject um, a Johann Schmidt with the uh, serum, or you know, basically, Johann Schmidt took matters into his own own hands. But he's thinking, why in the world would Dr. Erskine choose you? Here I am, you know, Mister Super Nazi Aryan Super Race Johann Schmidt. You know, why you? What's so special about you? And so Steve Rogers said, in answer to that question, what's so special about you? He says, nothing. I'm just a kid from Brooklyn. It's like right. he doesn't think of himself as special. Now, the honest answer, which he's too humble to say, is, well, Dr. Erskine saw the purity of my character, but he's too humble to see that. But, you know, it just completely nonplussed Johann Schmidt. It's like, it's like, say what? It's like, you know, I'm up against this person who's, you know, potentially going to beat me and he's nothing special. I mean, that's right. how humiliating to be beaten by nothing special, if you will. He just he couldn't process it, but that just shows you his humility and his willingness to just sacrifice himself for the greater good and, and not big right. note himself. One of the things that I got uh, as we were uh, preparing this series is this book called Hollywood Heroes. Uh, the subtitle is how your favorite movies reveal God. Um, 
but it, it's not all just a, a, a spiritual, you know, a Christian tract, if you will. There are some other great insights. And one of the great insights it has about Steve Rogers, Captain America, and, and the, the hero journey he goes on that's different from a lot of the hero journeys that we'll be talking about and that we're familiar with in the culture. The book says this, unlike most superheroes, and despite being around almost 80 years in comic books, because Captain America did indeed date back to the 40s in comic books, Captain America is unique in the sense that as a character, he is static. He undergoes almost no moral change over the course of his story arc. Rather than a moral journey, we are instead treated to the story of his dedication, bravery and commitment to his principles, often in the face of overwhelming odds. That's his story arc. His story arc is going from physically weak to physically strong, but not changing internally, fortitudinally strong. And that is um, is both rare uh, in, in many cases, and I think something we all can and should aspire to, especially as we encounter crucibles, because Captain America does not let his crucible define or stop him. And along the way, he becomes... Right. As the movies play out, he becomes the true crucible leader in our language of the Avengers because they all recognize that he may not be the most powerful one. The Hulk is more powerful. Iron Man smarter. Um, but Captain America becomes the leader because of his innate qualities. Yeah, it's so true. Uh, that point you're making, Gary, um, from the Hollywood Heroes book, uh, you know, in in very many cases in real life, uh, people may start out with a reasonable degree of character, but whether it's Hollywood or success in sports or in business, the more normal arc is they get carried away with the fame. They get surrounded by people who are hangers-on who say, man, you're amazing, you're brilliant, you're fantastic. And they say, yeah, I pretty much am, aren't they? And their character erodes with the fame and the money and the power whether it's in politics or Hollywood or wherever, it's, you know, it's rare that politicians or people in movies or wherever are seen as incorruptible. We talk a lot in Crucible Leadership about, about Lincoln, who, you know, maybe in terms of sort of the incorruptible man, um, his character, if anything, it was strengthened, but it wasn't changed. He was the same person, uh, you know, before he became into office or even the latter stages when he was greatly respected. It didn't change him. But that's rare. So somebody like Steve Rogers, with all the accolades and his physical strength and admiration, most people would start saying, I'm pretty hot stuff, aren't I? I'm pretty amazing. Right. The fact that he mm -hmm. wasn't flies in the face of the more normal example in the culture that we live in. And uh, so, you know, that's, that's something to be understood and modeled don't let success, whether it's in your neighborhood, high school, business, it, the size is, is irrelevant. You know, wherever you live, you could be pretty hot stuff, even if it's like, you know, junior and high school basketball team, you know, somewhere. Right. So don't let the accolades destroy your character. Remember, you know, be the same person in the sense of the good part of you after you've succeeded. And Steve Rogers is just an incredible example of that, which is unfortunately all too rare in our society today. Most people are yeah. corrupted by success, unfortunately. Yep, yep. There's a great scene at the end when uh, it's it's VE it's VE Day, Victory Over Europe Day in the war, 
Um, and there's a scene that shows uh, these young kids playing in the street. They're all exultant because America's won the war. And they show this, this, this young boy, he's got a, a, a metal garbage can lid in his hand and he's painted it up like Captain America's shield. He's painted up that, um, that garbage can lid like Captain America's shield and he is playing Captain America with his friends. And we talk all the time here at Beyond the Crucible about the importance of leaving a legacy, something that you can be proud of, something that those who inherit that legacy can be proud of. Many times that's your family. Here, what Captain America's done is left a legacy that his country can be proud of, that the next generation of his country can be proud of. And that is uh, I, an absolutely key outcome, is it not, uh, of, uh, that we often discuss as the fruit of living a life of significance. Absolutely. I mean, at the time, as the war ends, uh, you know, in, in Europe, victory in Europe, uh, you know, somewhere around, I think, May 1945, uh, give or take, uh, everybody assumes that Captain America is dead. Now, maybe, you know, he's not, right. but uh, nobody knows that at the time. And so whether it's his friends, like, you know, the Colonel, uh, you know, Peggy Carter, uh, Bucky Barnes, I mean, just people that really love him and respect and admire him, they think of him as somebody that's left a legacy of giving his all to uh, his country, to the allies, at least in, in the movie, of helping to defeat Nazi Germany and living a life of character. It was never about him, but was standing up to bullies. It's a life of service. It, it was a life of humility. So that's exactly the kind of thing that you want young people emulating and respecting. And that's the legacy as of the 1940s that he had left. I mean, maybe we won't all be Captain America, obviously, but at whatever level and whatever area, wouldn't you want that to be your legacy? That you're a man or woman that are respected for your character, how you lived your life, a life of service, caring for others? Isn't that how we all want to be seen and respected after we've gone? I mean, to me, the answer is absolutely. Yeah. And the, um, as we've said, uh, as you hinted um, again there, Captain America does not die. He crashes the plane in the water. And as is wonderful about the comic book world, uh, you can have kind of miraculous things happen. And he's frozen in suspended animation in the plane that he crashes in. And the U.S. government pulls him out in the 2010s. Um, and uh, he's hasn't aged. He's alive. Um, and But what's interesting about that is he emerges as a man out of his own time, but still rooted in his timeless principles. And we see that in Captain America in all the films that follow, the two sequels to his movie, and then the four Avengers films. He spends his, his belief, his faith in Bucky Barnes, his pal, exists even though Bucky had been captured by the Nazis, had been programmed to become an assassin for Hydra, um, had done some terrible things. The, the U.S. government wanted to wipe him out. And Captain America, again, having faith and belief in his friend, wouldn't go along with that. Defied some of the some of his orders to because he believed in his friend. He was a loyal friend who could see in the heart of the man who had been reprogrammed by the bad guys. And that in the end, as you pointed out, as we were talking about this beforehand, that faith ends up being well-founded, doesn't it, in, in Bucky Barnes? 
He's, he's not the Winter Soldier, even though he's been programmed to be the Winter Soldier assassin for Hydra. At the end of the of the Avengers movie arc, he's somebody, he's back to being Bucky Barnes, right? Absolutely. You know, uh, as you said, Bucky Barnes was brainwashed by the Nazis and Hydra. Uh, but, um, you know, Steve Rogers wouldn't give up on his friend. He felt like somewhere in there beneath the programming, there was the good Bucky Barnes, his, his buddy growing up. And he fought for that and eventually was able to redeem him, and which is amazing. But in those latter movies, you know, uh, beginning with uh, the movie that came after the first uh, Captain America, well, I guess at the end of that movie, um, come to think of it, you know, he goes to another crucible. It's like, gosh, I've lost everybody I know. You know, it's now like 2010s. At, at that right. point, he doesn't have a clue where, you know, his beloved uh, Peggy Carter is, and obviously eventually that would be revealed, but at the time he didn't know. Everybody that he had known is probably dead or, you know, close to it. But it's like, okay, that's got to be a devastating crucible to lose, you know, 70 years of your life, whatever it was at the time. But it's like, okay, this is, you know, this is pretty awful. Uh, Here I am. How can I serve my country? How can I serve the planet? What's the next mission? It's never about him. It's always about leaving a legacy, even when, you know, he loses many decades of his life and for all he knows at the time, his beloved Peggy Carter. But uh, it was always about a life of service. It was never about him. Whatever crucible came, even a crucible of, of time, it he stu- as you say, he was more than his principles and he always wanted to serve his country and serve the world. That was always, it's always him in this in an, uh, with this character of humility. It's just incredible. I love that you mentioned um, his beloved Peggy Carter because she does show up in some of the sequels. Um, she's much older, obviously, because she's lived through the passage of time. She's aged where he hasn't. Um, and she, he visits her in the hospital in one movie uh, where she's ill. Um, but he never loses that, that, that torch he has for her. And in the final Avengers movie, Avengers Endgame, which involves some time travel, all the different Avengers have to go back in different places of time to retrieve these, these time stones, like the Tesseract that the villain Thanos is, it has used to, to wipe out half of mankind. They have to go back and get them so they can defeat Thanos. And Captain America goes back and he gets a and he get and, and he gets one of the stones and they get all the stones regathered, and Iron Man saves the day. Um, loses his life in the process. That's not a spoiler. The movie's been out for a couple of years. Um, but at the end of the day, when that's done, Earth has been saved. Each of the Avengers has a role to play to go back to the time where the time stone they have came from, to go put it back in place. And Captain America volunteers to go put uh, the stone that he had back in place. And there's a scene at the end of that movie where the other Avengers are waiting for him to come back through the portal. It certainly takes seconds. What looks like it takes years, what takes years on the inside of the time travel on the outside takes seconds and they're waiting for him and he, and he doesn't come back and they don't know why he doesn't come back. And the audience finds out first why he doesn't come back. There's a scene that's cut to a house and you, and the camera goes through a window and there inside the house is Steve Rogers dancing with a young Peggy Carter. And that dance that they talked about in the first Captain America movie that we've been talking about, that first dance that they never got to take, that she 
she weepingly says, uh, you know, I'll, I'll take a rain. He says he'll take a rain check. And she says, yes, I'll meet you next week. And, you know, she knows it's not going to happen. But Captain America chose rather than come back and continue to serve. He felt like he'd, he'd lived his life of significance. He'd given all he could to his country and to the world. And now it was his time to enjoy a different slice of a life of significance. And that was life with Peggy Carter. So he stayed in the 1940s. He married Peggy Carter. And that was the way that he lived out his life because of the, of what time travel allowed. And it was a, it, it, it was a very beautiful ending to this story. And it, and it speaks to, what we've been talking about. He felt called to serve. He lived a life on purpose, dedicated to serving others. And now that act of, of significance, that life of significance now included love, marriage, and, and that which he had denied himself so long while pursuing his heroic calling. It was really a beautiful way to kind of end the story arc of Captain America, I thought. Absolutely. It was never about being in the limelight. It was never about, hey, you know, I'm part of S.H.I.E.L.D. and I'm part of all these incredible things that are going on in the present day. And hey, let's just keep on with the mission. And oh, well, it's like, well, I've, I've served my country. I've served the planet. And, you know, he just felt like the season is changing. And maybe, you know, we don't really know what happened in the alternate universe when he goes back to the 40s and what happened from the 40s on because that movie hasn't been, you know, made after, you know, Avengers Endgame. But let's assume he led a more quieter life. We don't know, but it's it's possible. Maybe it's teased a bit there. Uh, but it wasn't about the size of the impact. It was about, you know, where am I called to now? And, you know, to have the opportunity to be around the love of your life, uh, you know, maybe have kids, you know, and a family. And um, it was just never about the size of the impact. It was just try to be a value wherever that was, be it of big note or a small note. It was never about him. It was just try to serve a greater purpose and be a good friend, whether it be to, right. uh, you know, and husband uh, to Peggy Carter or a good friend to Bucky Barnes. It was, it's always about just sticking to who he was before he had the serum. It's really, it's a great end of the arc of his story. Absolutely. And the, you know, we go back to what we started talking about early on, his his view carried throughout the movies that um, that I could do this all day. And it's really I didn't think about this till right now, as you were describing life with Peggy Carter. He's able to find being with Peggy is something else he could do all day. And he gets the chance to do that, live many years with her when he goes back uh, to the 40s. Um, and that's just a beautiful wrap to his story and to the, the, the arc of, of what, how he dealt with crucibles and how he found a life of significance. It really is. He's a, I think a, the perfect, the perfect hero for us to discuss, not just because yesterday when listeners are hearing this yesterday was the 4th of July independence day in America, right? It's not just because just, 24 hours ago, you saw fireworks and you had a cookout. It's because the story really does have application to how we can live lives of significance. And that, um, I think, makes it both entertaining, um, beautiful in, in its own superheroic way, and also quite meaningful. Absolutely. I mean, well said. It's, um, it's a great uh, character, a great movie to launch this series with, uh, you know, a selfless life whose focus is always on others 
not liking bullies, defeating Johann Schmidt and Hydra, um, being loyal to his friends, um, Peggy Carter and Bucky Barnes. I mean, he's just a great role model of, you know, it's a bit like they talk about Lincoln. Lincoln's greatness is not so much in, uh, you know, defeating the South and the Civil War. Historians have said Lincoln's greatness was in his, was in his character. Well, I think in a, a similar way, actually, uh, Steve Rogers' Steve Rogers' greatness, Captain America's greatness, wasn't so much in the achievements or his physical strength. Steve Rogers' greatness was in his character. In that sense, you could almost say his uh, Abraham Lincoln archetype in, in in some way. Very well said, and a very good place for us to. I don't want to say land the plane, given some of the the arcs of our <laughs> of the beats of our conversation here. It's a good place to to um, to to throw the shield in and say uh, we're done. Um, but there's one thing I want listeners to ponder um, again in this book, Hollywood Heroes. Um, they have reflection questions like you often like you do every time on your blog, Warwick. They have reflection questions for how you can think about the story of Captain America. And one of them really struck me as something that would be uh, good for people to, to think about. And that's this, Captain America is other focused. His moral compass compels him to help others. Who do you know who tends to be other focused and what do they do that helps them maintain that focus? Another question that's also very good about that says this, um, can you think of someone in your life who makes you better? the way that Captain America made other people better. Have you told them? So this idea that who's other focused, who's someone who inspires you in that way? How, what do they do that helps them maintain that focus and how might you learn from them? And then uh, is there somebody who makes you better, who does that for you? Have you told them? And if you haven't, what are you waiting for? Both great questions to ponder as we wrap here, aren't they? Absolutely. Yeah, it's, um, you know, thinking of uh, your moral compass, make sure that you stay true to your fundamental beliefs. Don't let the world um, erode you. I mean, it's funny, I haven't mentioned this that often, but when I was a teenager, I had this thought in my mind, I never wanted to become world weary, because I had this sense that the world left of its own devices, can erode your character, erode your optimism, faith in others. And I never wanted to be cynical. And I would say, by the grace of God, I'm not cynical. I'm a realistic, but I'm not cynical. So you want to stay true to your moral compass. And yeah, think of people that have made you better. And yeah, I'm a great believer in encouragement. If there's somebody that's a role model, maybe it's your mom, dad, teacher, maybe it's somebody at work, um, think of what, why you admire them. And absolutely, as Gary, as you just said, tell them, uh, thank them right. and tell them why, you know, I always believe when you, if you're going to give a thank you, be specific, you know, right. uh, you are in a lot of ways, a, a, a hero or somebody I admire because you did A, B, and C, whether it was their kindness, their compassion, their integrity, whatever it is, absolutely. Uh, it will it will bless them and encourage them and maybe reinforce them to keep going because even our heroes can sometimes have days when they're a little tired. Yep. Well, with that, uh, we're going to declare that Red Skull is defeated and so is Thanos, and we're going to move on. 
So here's how we're going to do this, listener. We're not going to give you the full rundown of everybody we're going to talk to. We know who that, I mean, talk to. Yes, we're going to talk to, <laughs> We our interview with Captain America was this close to happening. You know, everyone that we're going to talk about, all the stories we're going to explore, we're not going to lay those out in advance, except at the end of each episode. So I will tell you now that next week, Warwick and I will talk about Batman and the lessons we can learn about overcoming crucibles and leading a life of significance from Batman. The primary, and there's a lot of iterations of Batman, as you know, the primary iteration that we're going to talk about is the 1989 Michael Keaton movie just called Batman. So that will bring in some of the other stuff, but the primary movie we're going to talk about is that movie with Michael Keaton from 1989. So if you want to be uh, up on the conversation as Warwick and I go through it, you've got the opportunity to take a, a look at that movie uh, over the next uh, over the next week and, uh, and, and, and listen into our conversation as we get there. Until the next time we are together and have that conversation, remember that we know that crucible experiences are difficult. We know that um, it takes heroic effort to move beyond them. Uh, you have to muster that ability, that desire, that, that, that integrity to do this all day. Sometimes when you feel like you can't go on, you have to, to find a way to do this all day because the reward is you can learn lessons from your crucible that will pay dividends down the road. And that road will lead you as you learn those lessons and apply them to your life to exactly the place that, that, that Steve Rogers, Captain America found himself. Not only when he was saving the world, but also when he was, he was spending eternity, the rest of his life with Peggy Carter. And that is to a life of significance. Mm -hmm.